when you become a mother, it's, it's really altering, profoundly altering. I don't think I ever felt quite as close to death said life without children is not complete and I internalized that but I also at the same time knew I wanted to be a writer and an artist and I was never one of those kids or girls who played marriage who wanted babies I didn't play with dolls that was just not part of my dream so having an actual child is a much richer and more complicated experience I think than what I thought it was when I was a little girl. Looking back, I realized just just how isolated I was because I think it must be really nice to go through a pregnancy with your friends and your family around you to support you. I didn't have that village around me of, you know, friends who'd had babies or aunts or none of that. The day we found out we were pregnant, I think, was also the day, if I remember correctly, that he passed his dissertation. They were like really sort of close to each other. And then within months, he had a job in Arizona. And we left Charlottesville and all of our friends and landed in Arizona in July, I think. And I was pregnant. (laughs) And it was a little jarring. People would say, that I looked, I was very skinny and, you know, I kind of looked like I swallowed a basketball. Like that was sort of the only place where the weight showed. Like a lot of women, I think, you know, I, I didn't like my body and I thought it needed to be different. And after I gave birth, I was like, no, my body's good. My body's a machine that can do an incredible thing. And I felt much more connected to my body. I think that's what it was. I don't think I'd ever felt particularly connected to my body. I wasn't really in it a lot of the time. And having Anna changed that. Being pregnant, I think, changed that. It was like a project. It was like my body had this really interesting project. And I was kind of following along. And I kind of, I kind of couldn't believe that my body was doing that. The whole pregnancy was very smooth. I'd had some depression before the pregnancy and somehow... When I was pregnant, it's like my moods stabilized. I was even keeled, really no sort of complications whatsoever, um, kind of effortless. You know, up until the end, you just want the baby out. It's like, okay, it's the, your home is too small. You need to come out into the world. Anna was two weeks late. I had about 24 hours of, I don't know if it was false labor or Braxton Hicks, but 
I had a friend who was a midwife, interestingly enough, and she checked me and she's like, yeah, you're, you're dilating, you know, but you're not at the point where you should go to the hospital. So did a lot of, you know, sitting in the bath and walking around and we went to the hospital like 4 a.m., something like that. Eventually, they informed me that I was stuck. I was 10 centimeters dilated on one side and eight centimeters dilated on the other one and I wasn't progressing. And so they wanted to give me an epidural and then Pitocin to get things going again. I didn't want an epidural, but at that point I think I was ready to have Anna and ready to be done with it. So I said, okay. And Anna's father said that that was the part where it became sort of scary for him because there were needles and I was, you know, on the bed like a patient. About 20 minutes later, I gave birth. They didn't even have to do the Pitocin. They gave me the epidural, and I guess my body relaxed. I feel like I'd just been working so hard to get this baby out. And I had been anticipating a small, dark-haired child because I was a small, pale baby with dark hair. My brothers were small, pale babies with dark hair. My mother and father in different countries had been small, pale children with dark hair. And she had copper hair. She had, like, flame colored copper hair and I just realized this is a whole other person. This is an individual who's going to turn into her own person. So no longer just somebody who's part of your little projected fantasy about motherhood. The reality of I am fully and almost solely responsible for this small person who will become a grown-up that's that's big and I think for a woman especially that's you have to go through a readjustment I had given birth to Anna but Anna in a way had given birth to, to to me as a mother in other words not literally but she she made me a mother I mean this was like a whole different self and without Anna that never would have happened I don't think it's better or worse you know it's very very different and that was exhilarating, and then I would say within the next 24 hours, kind of terrifying. Because <laughs> in your fantasy, right, you're still you, you just have a kid. And I, I wanted to stay me, and I wasn't sure how I could become a stereotypical you know, mother or what I saw as a stereotypical mother and still be me. I think it was a kind of identity crisis, and I, I realized having children, right, having a baby, you gained something critical, but not in the short term, you lost something, right? And so you had to sort of cope with that loss. I had a child, like a mother gives birth, you give something away in a sense, and you get it back tenfold. But initially, it's losing something, literally the baby out of your body, and then also a sense of kind of who you were. I mean, I remember, you know, looking at women's magazines those were a guilty pleasure of mine. And after I had Anna, like in the weeks after I had Anna, I just looked at those like, I can't make heads or tails. I don't, who are these for? They make no sense. It was like they were written in a foreign language. Because what I was looking for was information that was so much more kind of primal and just about how to survive. I did have postpartum anxiety. And I was told postpartum anxiety wasn't a thing. And Anna was an easy baby. Anna was not colicky, but I'd get this rising panic. I don't know what it was. It was this sense of being trapped. 
that was really frightening. I joined a writing group called Mothers Who Write pretty early on, and I tried to write about how I felt that, you know, feeling like, when are we ever going to be able to get back to our own creative selves? You know, all of this stuff that there's not a lot of room for, I think, in the traditional notions of motherhood. And so to find a place where there were women who were mothers but who also wrote, who saw the world through that writer's perspective and saw motherhood through that writer's perspective, that was really reassuring. Because it was like, oh, we can talk about the crappy stuff. We can talk about postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. You know, there's no Mother's Day card for that mother. It's the selfless mother who, you know, that, that giving tree, we love our children fiercely, but I don't think we're any of us that tree stump. <laughs> About a week and a half after I gave birth, she started pooping blood, just like straight blood. They couldn't really figure out what was going on. They thought that either she'd contracted some sort of stomach virus or she was allergic to my breast milk. And I had been going to La Leche League religiously before giving birth, so I was like, there's no way she's allergic to my breast milk. That's not possible. They told me not to breastfeed, that I should put her on Alimentum, which was this very expensive formula that came in a can. And, of course, all the La Leche League ladies said, oh, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You must breastfeed her. So I started with the Alimentum, but I was pumping breast milk too, right? Because, you know, she was going to need my breast milk like that. And the La Leche League ladies, they said, oh, well, you, you need to pump. You need to mimic the baby's feeding cycle, so you need to be pumping every two hours. So I'm trying to feed the baby the bottle and pump every two hours. And then my mother was the one who said, you're making yourself crazy. You need to just give her the bottle and she's okay. And, and she was, but I continued pumping breast milk and occasionally trying to put her back on the breast milk. And every time I did the blood returned, saying to the pediatric gastroenterologist, I really want Anna to have breast milk. And she said, you're being ridiculous. She said, if this were a th third world country where the water was compromised, you know, of course, breast milk. But the, the, the differences are sort of minimal. And you should feel fortunate because there are other children who've come in with very, very similar symptoms who may not leave here. You know, my kid was in for two or three days and then was able to go home. And yeah, she was on crazy expensive formula that came in a can that we had to pack in our luggage anytime we went anywhere because we weren't sure they would sell it where we were going. But she was fundamentally healthy. And I'd been so brainwashed by the La Leche League that I had the temerity to say to my mother, who had delivered, by the way, me and then twins, right, and raised us you know, pretty capably. Yeah, should you really be giving them a bottle? Like, what about nipple confusion? Like, really, should breast milk, shouldn't they? I, I look back and I realize that first baby, you're just grasping. You have no clue, really, and you're looking for gospel, right? And so you kind of take it where you find it. And then I think if you parent well, you sort of realize no baby should be parented by one approach. You need to tailor your approach to the to the child. So the very early, like, I'm going to pump every two hours and give my child formula was kind of crazy.
I, I remember having this revelation when Anna was little and we were on an airplane, and now people talk about it quite a bit. When the oxygen mask comes down and you're with a child, what do you do? You put it on the kid first. No, no, you don't. You put it on yourself first, because if you put it on the kid first and you pass out, you're useless. So you have to put your own oxygen mask on first. You have to take care of yourself. I really had to value myself more, and I really had to take care of myself if I was going to be able to take care of Anna. So that, in a way, gave me permission to take care of myself, to value myself, because I, I kind of hadn't before then. When you become a mother, it's, it's really altering profoundly altering. I don't think I ever felt quite as close to death as I did when when Anna was born. It's because you're at that door. It's the same door I was at when my father died three years before she was born, right? It's the door where you say hello and goodbye. And you can't be at that door and not think about passing through it. So Anna connected me back to my father, who was the center of my world. She connected me to myself. In a funny way, that's where my father was. And she connected me forward in a funny way, I feel. Like in the same way that my father is around, I will be around. Not literally, right? But my father shaped me, I've shaped Anna. Even if Anna doesn't choose to have children, every life she touches, every person that she has a relationship with, or, you know, the ripple, that's the ripple out. That's connected. This is your producer and host, Rosalind Shipley, holding the space.